You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Kentucky Podcast. We bring you info and insights on UK football and basketball every weekday. Stay informed by making us part of your morning or afternoon commute. Listen and follow for free on Apple or Google Podcasts. Just subscribe to Locked On Kentucky. I'm Dan Reefer with Fox 56, along with Kyle Tucker of The Athletic. Kyle is at Rupp Arena after witnessing uh, Kentucky escape disaster and and hold off Vanderbilt and win 71-62. Kentucky closed the game on an 11-4 run after going up 60-58, to uh, but Vanderbilt led for nearly 18 minutes of that game, and it looked uh, at one point early in the second half, Vanderbilt was up 10. They had life, shots were falling, and it felt like Kentucky was in some real trouble, but then uh, the Cats' energy picked up, definitely, and Kentucky... Uh, started making some shots, and most importantly, as Coach Cal will tell you, you need Nick Richards. And they got him back in the second half after he was uh, set for, oh, the last 16 and a half minutes, most of the last 16 and a half minutes of the first half with two fouls. And when uh, when he exited, or when, when halftime hit, Nick Richards had zero points and one rebound. When the game was over, he had 15 points and 11 rebounds. And he was a plus 16 in 22 minutes. So that, that tells you a lot right there. And then, of course, Tyrese Maxey was pretty big as well. Yeah, I, you know, I led what I wrote for The Athletic. I led with the, the familiar scene of John Calipari loves nothing more than quizzing reporters so that he can make fun of us uh, preemptively even that, to, and tell us that we, know, we don't know anything about basketball. Right. And it's really funny when he does it for something like this because it was like, what did we learn about my team? What did we learn in this game? I love <laughs> right. asking this because you don't know anything. What did I learn about my team? And uh, or what did we learn about my team? And, you know, you're sitting there, for one, like some people just aren't going to uh, play his little game. Uh, and some people have no idea. And other people think they know, but they think, well, it's got to be some high-level basketball thing, so I don't want to answer and sound like an idiot. Right. Uh, and it was, you need Nick. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, th- well, thank you. Thank you for that uh, big revelation that they need the seven-footer who might be the SEC player of the year. He, Nick Richards is pretty important. But this game did highlight that, that you know, it served as one of the, the harsher reminders in a while that if Nick Richards gets in foul trouble or, God forbid for them, he fouls out early in a game – uh, they're yeah. toast. They're toast. I mean, they just—they don't have anybody that protects the paint the way he does. They don't have anybody who rebounds uh, the way he does. The dude got a double double in the second half alone. Um, you know, they played twenty-two minutes, seventeen of the seventeen minutes in the second half, and he got fifteen points and ten rebounds. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's really—I mean, we've said this, but he's really making a case to be SEC Player of the Year over the last nine games now. So that's two really quality non-conference opponents, Louisville and Texas Tech, and these eight and these uh, seven first seven SEC games. He's averaging seventeen point three points and eleven point one rebounds. Um, Jeez, I mean seventeen and eleven from Nick Richards over like an extended period of time against all quality opponents. These aren't you know non-conference games included. These are all the best teams they've played. 
um, 17 and 11. Um, I texted an NBA scout that I'm uh, pretty tight with after the game, and he said, yeah, he's getting drafted. <laughs> he said, yeah. "He said uh, I wish I could show you my old scouting reports on Nick Richards, but they're all in the trash now. Um, you know, he's just – it's crazy. And, uh, you know, Jerry Stackhouse played 15 years in the NBA, and I asked him, is he a pro? And he said, absolutely. He is absolutely a pro. And he, he said something mm-hmm. I think is very true, which is we are not going to see the best of Nick Richards – while he's in a Kentucky uniform. Like, he still isn't, hasn't even begun to figure out all the things he can do. I do still think he's going to hit threes, you know, at the next level, uh, or at least be able to shoot them. He hit another 18-foot jumper on the left baseline tonight, which he's got to be shooting like 80% on those for the season. Um, he's just a, he's just such a changed guy. And, and tonight really did highlight, like, they – they are very, very diminished as a team without Nick Richards. Yeah, and I mentioned it uh, with who I was watching it with. I just said, this is going to be Kentucky's biggest issue in the NCAA tournament is Nick Richards staying out of foul trouble because if he goes out and Kentucky gets in a hole, it's much harder to dig yourself out when it's a a one-game-and-done situation. And Kentucky uh, has good guard play. You could – I mean, they could – they could stay in games if, let's say, Emmanuel quickly goes three right. of thirteen shooting, um, because you think you figure two of those three guys, Hagen's, Maxie, and Quickly, are going to give you enough if you have Nick. Right. Uh, but with Nick Richards, he, he just can't. He cannot pick up two fouls in the first half. Um, he, he just can't get in foul trouble. There are going to be games where they call it tight, but uh, his his second foul was avoidable, yeah. definitely. I, th- I think I think he did. I did. I did hear some wisdom and some maturation in what he said after the game, though, uh, because he explained how he didn't thought he didn't think that second foul was a foul, uh, but he said um, the ref uh, they ref how they want to ref, and as a player, you have to listen to them and figure it out. Um, and so I thought that was interesting too. Like get that feel, and if this is how they're going to officiate. This is how I'm going to have to play, and that, he said that's how he kept himself out of foul trouble uh, the rest of the game. Um, so that you know that's progress. But yeah, it's, it would be a death blow, certainly in certain matchups. Like if if they end up running into Kansas somewhere in the NCAA tournament, right? And Nick Richards gets in foul trouble, and and Azubuki does not, then it's yeah. game it's game over because like Azubuki single handedly tore. Tennessee limb from limb in the second half of the game uh, in the Big 12 Challenge the other day, but uh, but man, I just you just can't say enough about about how transformed Nick is that he has become this important to this Kentucky team. Yeah, no doubt about it. And then Tyrese Maxey took what Calipari called a a big step forward, and uh, of course Calipari has been you know all about conditioning and practice and who's finishing first and all that and. He mentioned Tyrese has, uh, you know, started to to finish first in some drills that he outran uh, Emmanuel and something, and then he was going uh, against Hagen's and and Calipari described it that uh, Hagen's just demoralizes him, makes him want to quit most of the time, and instead Tyrese went at him, uh, was was super aggressive and going at him, and that. Um, and that he's getting on Tyrese harder than any other player 
right now, and you saw it. Tyrese was uh, more aggressive, and I'll give you a chance to respond to Tyrese Maxey on the other side of the break. We're going to take one now, and we'll come back with more on the Locked On Kentucky podcast. You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. Okay, Kyle, right before break, we were talking about Tyrese Maxey, and he uh, took over there late in the game, and he was more aggressive, like um, uh, Calipari has wanted him to be. And he looked pretty good. What did he finish with? Uh, team high, 17 points, 5 of 10 shooting, 2 of 3 from 3, uh, grabbed 4 rebounds. And why was it a big step forward? Because he because he went, Cal said he went to him at the tech, in the Texas Tech game and said, if we lose, eh, it's on you kind of thing. And so for him to respond this way and I guess also respond the way he has the last couple days in practice is what I think Calipari means. Yeah, and and he told an interesting story. He said, you know, it's, I guess at some point this week in practice, he got everybody together and he said, um, you know, I, I, I did this in 2015. I asked the team, who am I hardest on? And everybody pointed at Carl Anthony Towns. And Carl Towns raised his hands in the air and said, yeah, you know, me. Like, he was proud of it. Um, he sort of leaned into that coaching, that unrelenting <laughs> admonishment from Calipari because he knew it was trying to make him better. And he said he asked, you know, this year's team, uh, who am I hardest on? And they all pointed at Tyrese Maxey, and, and Maxey dropped his head, like kind of defeated by it. And the right. and the the reaction, the difference in reactions is kind of everything. Um, and he said, if a guy that cares about you, that loves you, is doing everything he can to help you for your future, if you can't take that coaching or that aggressiveness, you probably are not ready. Um, and you know, I asked. Maxie, after that, I couldn't. I can't remember. It's been a couple different guys that have said this to me, and they were always guys that had played at a high level here. At various points, said to the the effect, uh, you know, you, you when you play for Cal and you're one of his like stars, you have to listen to what he's saying and not how he's saying it to you, because he'll you know crush you in practice. Especially his top guys, he really leans on. He wants to you know squeeze the most out of them, and uh, I've heard multiple guys say that over the years, and I asked Maxie about that idea, and he actually said this week, just this week, Tony Barbie said to him, you know, you're listening to how loud he is and not what he's saying to you. Um, and he said, he's just, he, he said he did let it affect him, and it kind of let him beat it down, beat him down. And I wondered about that because it felt like Cal maybe was pushing too hard recently, mm. that, that Maxie was just buckling under that kind of coaching. But it seems like everybody this week the F, the the major effort was to say, like, understand what's happening here. Like you're he doesn't think you suck and and you can't right. you, you can't ever please him. He's trying to make you great. Um, and I and so I you know it was big that he responded and and you know I I asked him. I mean, if you think about it, I said you know Tyrese, you haven't just like had this crappy freshman season you scored 26 on your first game against number one michigan state you scored 27 in your first rivalry game against louisville you scored you had 18 8 7 and four blocks in georgia at georgia in your first road game like you've right. risen to all these moments but then you've had these lows and, and he said that's that's it completely that's exactly what cal's trying to say to me is like you he says he believes i can be that good every night um, and he said, tonight there was a game and the stretch in the game where I kind of fell off. And he said, it's that time. And that's when Maxie kind of locked in. And I went, went and looked. I didn't even realize that it happened in such a short 
burst, but he had uh, he had like nine points in let's see nine points in two and a half minutes. Um, <laughs> Jeez, and that was kind of that's when the game was over. You know, uh-huh. it was, uh, yeah. I think it was two. They had a two point lead with six minutes to go, um, and Maxie had nine points in the next two and a half minutes, and then Vanderbilt was done. And that's what they need. I mean, he's the guy who can do that. I'm not, you know, right. Manuel quickly can hit jumper. You know, he can hit threes and get hot sometimes. But the guy that just from all over the floor, no matter how they guard you, I can get buckets in in you know bursts like that, take over a game. He's the one guy that can do it. And that is why Cal is so like desperately trying to get him locked in because if you get if you got Ashton and Emmanuel and you got Nick, if you have this bucket getter that just every night brings it, then I don't yeah. know how you handle Kentucky. Another big uh, part of the game too, I thought important was. EJ Montgomery's play in the second half and the moment there with about nine and a half minutes to go where there's a, a ball come off and EJ reaches, stretches out with his wingspan and grabs the rebound with one hand and just pops right back up and puts it in uh, to give Kentucky its first lead since like it was, I don't know, back early in the first half. Uh, puts Kentucky up 51-50 right there. And then EJ winds up going four or five, four rebounds, uh, just his effort in the second half. And then again, Calipari went back to the conditioning thing, and EJ's you know getting in better condition. And uh, we we hear it again and again, uh, but you know obviously it has something to do with it. But I thought um, again with him, if you can get a little bit of that, I mean, if you just keep getting that from him, you know, it doesn't have to, it doesn't even necessarily have to be forty minutes. If you can just get him. Uh, in a half uh, to play that way, uh, it's a big help. Yeah, and and he keeps showing us in these little glimpses, like yeah, he can do this. You know, he uh, like you mentioned that play. It was it was actually back to back, and they were down four uh, with about eleven minutes to go in the game. They were still down by four. They were starting to chip away, make their move, and he really, I think he. As good as Maxie was, as good as Richards was, and overall those two kind of dragged him to the win. He EJ was the momentum changer though, because they were down four, and he had back-to-back offensive rebounds and buckets, and one of them was an and one, and they go from down four, and that was in the span of two minutes, and yeah. they go from down four to up one, basically on the strength of just EJ Montgomery uh, working the offensive glass and making really athletic plays there, um, and, and you know it's funny the the talk about Cal's just not going to let this in shape thing go. Uh, and EJ was like, <laughs> yeah. I didn't think I was in that bad of shape, but I, right. what I've decided about that. And I wrote it, I did sort of a note style kind of column from this game. I've decided that this is kind of like the tweak. Um, Cal is a master mind game guy. And he, you know, he's really good at in the middle of a season when, when a team or a guy is struggling with confidence at flipping a switch and saying, coming up with something and saying, I've got it. I know what was wrong. I can't believe I didn't see this sooner. You know, the tweak was exactly that. Like, and it, the tweak was basically nothing. It was like, okay, Andrew, drive and kick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but he convinced that team that, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I didn't see this all this time. Now that we have this figured out, we're about to kill everybody. And they were all like, oh, yeah, that, we didn't suck because it was our fault. Like, you know, all the pressure was off. 
Like mm-hmm. Cal figured it out. Here we go. And I this the way he keeps talking about this conditioning thing. It was like like getting on the treadmill is a magic bullet. It's it's hilarious. But I think I think it may be working a little bit for EJ because you know he gets on that treadmill and he hops off. And he feels like he's put in this like grind of an effort and it. And some of it is like mentality, like, okay, if I'm going to go in the gym and just work myself ragged to get in shape for this guy, then how hard is it really to go fight for a rebound in the game? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think it may be another one of those sort of sneakily brilliant uh, mind games for Cal. And, and those play, I thought those two rebounds were just huge for them. I think some of it, too, goes back to P.J. Washington. Like, he raved about how P.J. got – you know, dropped some weight and got in the best shape of his life, and then everything was different after that. Um, I, I think there's a little bit of that, too, uh, going on as well. All right, we're going to take another break, come back. Uh, more to talk about on Kentucky's 71-62 win over Vanderbilt when the Locked on Kentucky podcast continues. This is Locked on Kentucky. Your team every day. All right, we're back here on the Locked on Kentucky podcast with Kyle Tucker at Rupp Arena. Uh, still finishing up. I've heard, heard some like crackling in your mic there. So, uh, folks, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, it's probably just uh, bad Wi-Fi at Rupp oh. Arena, or yeah, maybe sorry like, about uh, that. or you my know. microphone. Uh, I was my microphone may have rubbed up against my shirt. I'm using the, the old iPhone headphones, the high tech high tech gadget here. Right, right. Um, but uh, Kentucky in that game, eleven to nothing in second chance points, thirty-seven to twenty-nine out rebounding. Uh, Vanderbilt. It was fifteen to fifteen rebounds at the half. So that, that shows you the difference of Nick Richards right there. Vanderbilt doesn't score a field goal over the last five thirty nine of the game. Vanderbilt shot fifty one point nine percent in the first half, twenty five point nine percent in the second half. I thought Kentucky's defense uh, was a little better in the second half and lacked in the first half. Saban Lee for Vanderbilt already knew he was a good player, uh, but he just did what he wanted to. He just got got by people. Dylan Dessou, I did not know, was a good player, and he looks really good. And uh, I am, after seeing Vanderbilt in against Kentucky uh, Wednesday night, I feel better about that team with Scottie Pippen Jr. as well. Like, gosh, if they're this team, they should be a little bit better. Um, imagine if they still had Aaron Neesmith, but... Um, I, yeah, I, just I, I think that, it's super hard to judge Stackhouse and Vandy, all of it, without Neesmith because it's, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. They weren't very good with him, but they certainly are. It's a, it's just a, a, an impossible task without him. But defensively, I mean, Kentucky getting beat off the dribble the way they did is just very uncharacteristic for them. Yeah, I, my main takeaway is that they won the game <laughs> because – to me, this felt very much, in a way, we, you know, somebody tweeted at me that this is our podcast fault because we had like spent a couple different days just, just mm-hmm. totally dismissing Ignoring Vanderbilt. Yeah. But, um, but in a way, this is almost totally predictable. You know, they've played these two huge road games in a row. They've got a third huge road game out in front of them. And they're playing a team that's lost 26 in a row to SEC opponents. How can you not overlook them? And the guys all said they wouldn't. Everybody said they wouldn't. But, what, but even in asking the question, you sort of put it in their mind, right? I mean, every question they got seemed like yesterday, the day before the game, was like about uh, – you know, are you going to overlook this Vanderbilt team? Because they sure do stink. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so it was sort of predictable um, and not totally unforgivable for a team to think they were going to just walk in here and beat Vanderbilt. Um, and so I just think the only thing that matters was that they figured out how to get it together and win the game. You know, it would have been a, it's a, it's a, it doesn't do anything for you as a win. It's just a nothing, but as a loss, it would have been disastrous because it would have been a second quad four loss. Uh, and as John Hale pointed out, they're the only top 40 team right now that has any top, any quad four loss. And if they had two, uh, that would be, that would be really brutal on their, resume come selection Sunday. You know, we know they've got really three and, and you could almost say four in the way that Ohio State is playing bad losses and you can't you just can't keep adding to those. It, it, it wipes away all the good work you do if you go out and yeah. drop one to a team like Vanderbilt. So all that matters to me is that they won the game. Well the color analyst on on the broadcast uh, on the SEC network, he pr- pretty predicted it. He was saying that he saw this coming, and then Pat Bradley, who's a analyst back in the studio uh, for the SEC Network, said the same thing that this was, you know, was perfect trap game scenario for Kentucky. And I guess when you look at it that way, you could see it. Um, one of the more interesting comments uh, from Calipari was uh, that Emmanuel quickly, uh, well, first that they stunk in the first half, and that he didn't scream or say a lot in the locker room. And so uh, Tyrese Maxey was on the SEC Network uh, post-game interview, and he was asked what was the locker room like at halftime. And he said, he was asked specifically what was Cal like. And he was like, yeah, he's pretty calm, really. It was like a couple assistants were a little more animated. And And so they backed their stories up that Calipari was chill and said, hey, it's your team. You want to lose, fine by me. And but, But Kenny Payne and Tony Barbie were not fine with it and, and let them know. So then late in the game, those lobs to Nick, which they just they ran that like two or three times where it was just wide open. Uh, Calipari says that Emmanuel quickly uh, said, let me run a back screen for these, for these lob dunks for Nick. And they did. And, and then Calipari says having a team empowered here, meaning a place like Kentucky where he's always got freshmen, this early is unusual. And I know, again, it's so cliche and we hear it all the time, player-driven, empowered, and, you know, his talking points and all that. But, I mean, if these things are true, that, you know, quickly's in there calling a play and they go out there and run it and they work, and here we are, it's not even February yet, it is kind of unusual and bodes well for the future. Yeah, I, the, you know, the idea that they that he's, I guess I wish I knew what the real story was, like how just to what level he's really saying, like, this is your team. You know, how much are the is he really one letting them kind of go and play on their own? And two, he said, I'm open, whatever their whatever suggestions, you know, I'm open to him. How open is he? You know, who and where, mm-hmm. where's the cutoff line? Like who has which guy would he be like, no, dude. <laughs> uh, uh, Keon, you're not shooting threes. No, I'm not open to that suggestion. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. He basically said that with his laser dart eyes. Yeah. Uh, at one point, Keon took an ugly looking three and it looked like Cal apparently on the bar. I didn't see, but I got so many messages from people saying like Cal looks like he could kill Keon yeah. Brooks with his actual eyeballs. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I wish I knew. If I really knew, you know, how, how, um, and I'm, I'll try to find out, uh, just 
you know, how open is this to being a, a player team? Um, but that, that was a really interesting little nugget that, that Emmanuel had said, Hey, let me set the back screen. And then they go dunk, dunk, dunk. Um, <laughs> yeah. as Calipari said, which they really did. It was crazy. It just like Nick Richards piled up all this, all these stats in like the last few minutes of the game. And it was lob, you know, lob dunk, lob dunk, lob dunk. And I think he ended up with five rebounds in the last three minutes of the game to get to the double, double. He um, didn't even really set a hard screen. He was just up there and then yeah. he just moved towards the rim. Yeah. Just sort of an obligatory show the screen and roll. Uh-huh. Uh, but the, uh, Richards went out of his way to really talk about all the all the different stuff that um, Emmanuel does, just as sort of intelligently. Uh, he's like, you know, he doesn't lead us in assists, but he's actually out there like calling out plays because he's got such great vision um, and understanding of the game that he he knows what's going on and he's able to tell us like, hey, this will work. Um, I thought that was just that, I thought that was really interesting. And when I, when I think, you know, looking to the future. What what is next year going to look like? What if Emmanuel quickly stayed with some promise of you know getting to play some point guard? With what we know about sort of what he how he understands the game, we know he can shoot it. Mm, yeah. um, I mean that could be really interesting because Devin Askew is going to be terrific, I think. But it, I think they'd love it if he was able to be an understudy or a, or a timeshare with a veteran guy, um, a veteran guy who can slide over and play next to you. You know you. Emmanuel can be your sort of steadying point guard. And then once Askew gets into a, a comfortable groove, Emmanuel slides over and plays some shooting guard. But um, I just thought it was really interesting that Cal brought it up. And then then Nick, every time people tried to get Nick to talk about how great he's playing, and I asked him, like, are you ready to say you're the best big man in the SEC now? And he's like, nah, let's wait till after the season. Yeah. Um, you know, and Jerry tipped in, asked him about, do you oh, realize God, how, I heard that. how important you are or whatever? <laughs> Um, you're the man. Yeah, but he was like, totally, but you are Nick. You are the man. Yeah, he was. Jerry was not. <laughs> Jerry was not accepting his deflection. Oh, he was not. But but Nick was not gonna you know take debate there. He 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 wasn't going to puff his chest out. He was going to talk about his teammates. But the one he talked about, I felt like the most was Emmanuel and just all the little things he does as a a guy who understands the game to help his teammates. So. Um, I don't think you can understate the value of of Ashton and Emmanuel back there in the backcourt, and then Nick, who seems to really be understanding things and have this crazy high confidence level. Um, they have this veteran nucleus that feels just much older and wiser than a lot of years that we've seen in the past. Well, something that helped Kentucky on Wednesday night was Texas Tech beating number 12 West Virginia because uh, Kentucky's win over Texas Tech, knocked the Red Raiders back out of the top 25, and Texas Tech uh, beat a West Virginia team that I think is number three in the top five in in uh, scoring defense. In the oh, country. wow. I didn't even see that and result. Yeah, West Virginia Texas, was, number, was number six in Ken Palm. And, uh, yeah, Texas Tech won that game 89-81. Uh, so that was a big one. Uh, Louisville was uh, close, nip and tuck with Boston College throughout, and then like the last six minutes of the game just blew it wide open. LSU is now 7-0 and in the SEC. They went, uh, they, they won in Baton Rouge against Alabama 90-76, to so they wow. showed that they could play Alabama's game and beat Alabama at their game. 
And then South Carolina went to Bud Walton Arena and beat Arkansas 79-77. So now South Carolina is 4-3 and three in the conference, while Arkansas falls, falls to 3-4. and four. Um, Man, Arkansas has fallen off. Yeah. Well, and South Carolina has picked it up. Remember how horrible yeah. we thought South Carolina was? Well, now they're four and three. Yeah, that was a sub one hundred team. That's uh, they're they're moving on up. Yeah. Um, so now the big one Saturday uh, down on the plains, and and now Kentucky is they have moved into the top twenty five of the net rankings, right? Aren't yeah, they, Kentucky is. Um, hang on. Are they twenty fifth? Actually, no. They're third. How did that even happen? Kentucky's 32nd now. They moved down. They moved down after beating Vanderbilt because it was a close game, I guess? I guess, and because Vanderbilt stinks. <laughs> they were 25th, yeah. They moved down. They were to 25th 30. at the time of the game. Yeah, they are now 32nd. Wow. That is so, weird. So winning at Auburn would would move them up a little bit, yeah. you would think. Yeah, uh, should. All right, so tomorrow we'll um, – let's see. Tomorrow is – yeah, that's our tomorrow will be our last podcast of the week, so we'll uh we'll dive into Auburn quite a bit. That uh that team's impressive. I don't I don't think they um they are appropriately ranked. I think they're better uh, Who the, who? The, Auburn? Uh-huh. I think they're better than the credit they get. What are they I mean, like seventeenth in the country or something? They took those right back to back they played a flimsy schedule to start undefeated and then, then they as soon as they took two pretty bad back to back losses like almost 20-point losses, I think everybody goes, ah, oh, they were a fraud. Their their schedule sucked. They're not as good as we thought. And I think and then they struggled at Ole Miss. But, that. Yeah. but they have veteran players and a really good guy in um, uh, Coro. Was he a freshman, right? Um, yeah. I, I just mean they have – they've got guys who have been around, who have been through it that are that are really good. Um, we'll see. Um, we'll see what happens down there in that arena. But I think I think Auburn's. I think uh, they're good. I mean, I, I've been high yeah. on Auburn since before the season. I just can under. I totally understand the outside sort of like skepticism skepticism of them uh, after building up their record, playing a bunch of nobodies, and then getting walloped a couple in a row, including including to their rival Alabama. Yeah. Uh, I think people go, ah, well, I don't know. They did They did kind of lose a lot, and they did. They lost a ton from that Final Four team. But as you said, Okoro's terrific. You know, Austin Wiley's good for 9 to nine to 11 rebounds every single game. Yeah. Uh, you know, McCormick and the other uh, kid that were, was – I forget his name now. Um, they were in the backcourt playing pretty significant minutes in the Final Four. That's that's a good Dowdy. Team. Yeah, Dowdy. Samir, Samir Dowdy. Dowdy, yeah. All right, well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Locked On Kentucky Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at D-R-I-E-F-F-E-R, and Kyle is at Kyle Tucker underscore A-T-H. All right, have a great Thursday, everybody. You are Locked On Kentucky, available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tell Alexa or Google to play podcast Locked On. Don't worry, I won't finish. You get the idea.